0: This is your Tuesday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Good to have you guys back again for another show. Good one coming up here. Andrew Kramer, who covers the Vikings for the Star Tribune, will be with me here in just a little bit to talk about the big uh, the big backup quarterback shuffle. Nick Mullins um, traded to the Vikings on Monday. Conditional seventh-round pick, so that gives you an idea of the scope. This is not the world's biggest trade, but does represent a shift in thinking for this team and an acknowledgement that what they were seeing from Kellen Mond and Sean Mannion this preseason and during training camp uh, was not getting it done, was giving them some concern uh, behind Kirk Cousins. So Andrew and I will get into that here in a little bit, and I'll add some additional thoughts on that as well. Got to get to some other uh, veteran quarterbacks in this league, some news on the Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady front. Uh, but first, what did I miss? Stop me if you have heard this one before. Twins lose two to one. Um, poor clutch hitting early in the game dooms them. Sonny Gray good start, but a uh, little bit uh, just a little bit of trouble in the middle innings. Two to one is the final and the biggest thing to note from this game Byron Buxton leaves the game in the 7th inning some hip problems this time apparently the culprit. So that right there is uh, the latest development in a troubling series of developments for the Twins and with Buxton I'm going to get into that here in just a minute but we got to focus on the game itself right now some some moments where the Twins could have changed the narrative in this game, you know, first inning you get, uh, you know, they get out of the, they get out of their half of the inning, and then they get uh, a one-out triple from Carlos Correa. Buxton walks, Buxton steals second base. So I guess Buxton was feeling okay enough in the bottom of the first to steal a base, by the way. But then they get uh, Jose Miranda strikes out, Max Kepler grounds out. Kepler uh, just can't can't really find his his next gear again. Bottom of the third um Correa walks Buxton singles Miranda grounds out grounds out so there's second and third two outs Kepler again makes an out so there you go the Twins do get a quick, get a little lead in the bottom of the 4th but Texas gets it right back in the top of the 5th with a long home run then they take the lead in the 6th by stringing three hits together and the Twins can't get anything going the rest of the way um you know just Outs, 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 and then they're they're done for the night. Didn't didn't get anything going in the ninth at all. Just one, two, three innings. So Twins lose. They're two games behind Cleveland now in the AL Central. But more to the point, these injuries are stacking up, and the big one being Byron Buxton. Now, did not sound good after the game with Rocco Baldelli talking about Buxton's injury. I'm going to play some extended clips. Now of Rocco Baldelli talking about Byron Buxton.
1: I'm not sure exactly when, uh, excuse me, he tweaked his hip, but uh, he had a few things go on today where you could tell he was uh, re- really feeling it. And um, we know over the last few days he's you know been in a spot where um, he's been on, on the verge of not being able to go out there, not being able to swing or run. Uh, and do such things but he's continued to post up and he's continued to go out there and play at I don't know what percentage he's at but it's not a high percentage of um, what he can normally do physically but he wants to play and uh, we want him out there and we've continued to push him and he's he's pushed um, but uh, he couldn't he couldn't get through what um, what happened out there he we call it hip soreness I, I don't know what it is he's going to have an MRI he 's doing it right now Um getting it looked at so we know exactly what we're dealing with. I mean, this is stuff he deals with all the time. Okay. The guy is a warrior. The guy goes out there and uh, plays through things that are not imaginable uh, for for many, um, both other players and people watching and you know Byron Buxton fans. Uh, what he's done to this point in the year has been pretty amazing uh, with the physical difficulties that he's had. But um, Right now, I, I don't uh, most likely see him you know playing tomorrow or anything like that. Uh, I think uh, we're going to have to one learn more, but it's, uh, it's not something that I think is going to be, you know we're going to treat it as a day-to-day issue, but it might be it could be more than a day-to-day issue. All, all the discussions we've had about him, um, and for good reason, I mean, he's such an important part of everything going on here. Um, most of what he's dealt with, we haven't even talked about. So um, all that said, uh, we're going to wait until we find out more before I can say any more. So I've got a bit of a problem with this
0: because I feel like the Twins are trying to have it both ways with Buxton to a certain degree, trying to trying to paint him as a warrior who will go out there and play and do anything, um, while while also trying to give him a, a, a pass for more of, these, more of these injuries. And again, if a guy is hurt, um, he shouldn't be playing. And I know you're going to get... Ripped to a certain degree if Buxton has to go had to go in the injured list earlier this year. But if you know if Paco, if if Rocco Baldelli is talking about how, you know, maybe at some point they could have shut him down for ten days and got him to a better spot, then maybe you need to do that. Um, maybe you need to do that because he was not having a very good stretch here. Um, I know with all the other injuries they've had that they they felt like they need him out there. He's such an important player to them. But you know, I talked about with Roycey on Monday show, wrote about it on the Ranball blog on Monday. Buxton 9-for-62 this season with runners in scoring position, 1-for-20 this season with runners in scoring position, and 2 outs. He's not been having a very good season since the very first month of the year where he was on fire, and we were seeing all of those, is Byron Buxton the best player in baseball stories? So if this has been injuries that are holding him back, that's, that's disappointing, and it's also you know, it's disappointing from the standpoint of he can't seem to stay healthy, can't seem to be in a, a spot physically where he's well enough to play effectively, and at the same time, um, you know, if these injuries are holding him back, maybe he shouldn't have been out there as much, maybe they should have figured something else out, so with Buxton, it, it's always one of two things, it's either he's hurt, and that's hurting his, his performance, or, um, you know, or he's able to go and, and you know, and, and then we're not making any excuses. So I'm just a little bit annoyed right now at how this story is playing out, how it sounds like the hip has been a problem all year. How, you know, Rocco Baldelli is saying a lot of the stuff that's been going on with Buxton we don't even know about. Um, you know, this just doesn't make for very good Optics when then all of a sudden the guy comes up with his hip injury and now he's got to have an MRI. Now you're wondering, is this more than day to day? How much are you even gonna have him down the stretch of an important season where you're again you're fighting for a playoff spot? So I don't know, which is it? Is he too hurt to play or is he good enough to play and then should therefore be, you know, is and therefore should be performing better? I don't know. I don't think you can have it both ways in here, and the twins seem to be trying to have it both ways. Right now the way they're having it is a lot of losses though. Three straight losses to Texas. A team serious about contention can't lose three home games in a row to a poor team like Texas. A team that's way out of the playoff race. And now the schedule gets a lot tougher, right? They got to go to Houston starting tonight. After that it gets, uh, you know, it's not going to get much easier over the next 2-3 weeks here. You got home series after that against San Francisco and Boston. Not great teams, but teams around 500, teams that that will be competitive. Then he got to go play three at the White Sox, four at the Yankees, and then three against Cleveland. So, you know, a bunch of testers coming up in the next two, three weeks before things, you know, ease up a little bit. Then you start to mix in a little bit more Kansas City. And then, so, you know, got a lot of Cleveland, Chicago, and then a little Detroit. So a lot of ground still possible to make up. You still got those 17 games left with Chicago and Cleveland combined, but. You know, whatever Buxton's status is, whatever Tyler Malley's status is, this doesn't feel like it's trending in the right direction. And it feels, at a certain point, like the Twins are trying to have it both ways with injuries, particularly with Buxton, and that is not a good way to play it. MGM Wine and Spirits is the choice for savings, service, and a great selection of spirits, pre cocktails, wines, and, of course, ice-cold beers and hard seltzers. With over 30 locations throughout the Twin Cities and beyond, there's an MGM near you. Head to MGMWineAndSpirits.com to find a convenient location in your area. Get social. Follow MGM on Facebook and Instagram for all the latest news and trends. Make great moments with MGM Wine & Spirits, your locally owned and operated choice for over 50 years. Save time, save money. Shop MGM. I am happy to be joined by Andrew Kramer, covers the Vikings for the Star Tribune. And Andrew, I texted you on Twitter. Monday morning, but even before that um, Sunday night, I was looking at quarterback depth charts in the NFL because I had seen the game Saturday and it did not make me feel good about the backup quarterback options behind Kirk Cousins, neither Kellen Mond nor Sean Mannion looking good in that game and kind of their, their flaws um, exposed and highlighted in that game. So I'm just thinking like what teams might have You know, might the Vikings look at and say, ah, they've kind of got three guys and they're probably going to be parting ways with one. And and the Raiders were on my list, Andrew. And uh, lo and behold, Monday morning, we hear that they have traded Vikings are traded for Nick Mullins. Um, First of all, what what uh, what was your what was your thought when um, when you were reporting that story Monday morning and, and realizing that they had indeed gone ahead
2: and made a move? Yeah, to me, it really stood out that they've decided that what they have on their roster is certainly not good enough behind Kirk Cousins. They'd seen enough from Kellen Mond and Sean Manning at this point to know that they need to see somebody else try to run Kevin O'Connell's offense. And so they bring in uh, somebody who's not necessarily, you know, a veteran or long in the tooth. But Nick Mullins has started 17 games in the NFL. Um, He came in as an undrafted free agent under the Niners, when Quasi Adolfo Mensa was running their analytics department. Um, Quasi's Browns actually signed Mullins last year to the practice squad, and then Mullins eventually started a game when COVID hit their quarterback room. So Quacy's well familiar with this guy. They obviously just played the Raiders. Um, Nick Mullins went 7 of 9 for 94 yards and a touchdown, which was a pretty decent throw over the middle on an in-breaking route that they run a lot of in O'Connell's offense. So To me, this is just kind of the nail in the proverbial coffin when it comes to um, Mond and Mannion. And last time I was on with you, Mike, we talked about that Raiders game and how I thought Mond took some steps forward. We just didn't see him carry that through those those 49ers joint practices. We certainly didn't see him carry much success into that game against the Niners. Um, Just two interceptions, really bad throws. The second one was such a bad decision too that Kevin O'Connell in his own kind of positive, cheery way basically said after the game that, yeah, we got to figure something else
0: out. I was going to mention that, that we talked a week ago at this time, and the the mood was much more optimistic at that point, just because of what we'd seen from Kellen Mond in the second half of that first preseason game, throwing a couple of touchdown passes, ironically to Albert Wilson, who also uh, was, uh, was dispatched on Monday to help make room for Nick Mullins on the roster. But um, yeah, it was, you, you, even though at that point, though, you still had some caution in your voice, like, hey, you know, this isn't really the Mond we've been seeing in camp for most of the time. Let's see how he does in a big week of practice, these joint practices with the 49ers. Let's see how he does in that second preseason game. Like you said, just not making the progress you want to see, still kind of making the same mistakes, right?
2: Yeah, he really is, and even though he was a little bit more in rhythm in these games than he has been in practices, just in terms of delivering the ball, getting it out, there were so many inaccurate throws uh, early in that game. He gets the start against the Niners, and you see him both underthrowing passes to B.C. Johnson and overthrowing passes to him, and the underthrow was his first pick. And then the last one, the last interception at the end of that game, uh, it's to a rookie receiver in Jalen Naylor, who it's it's not a good route that Naylor ran. It's supposed to be a fade at the sideline. He ends up breaking inside and kind of going toward the numbers. And that's a decision when you're a quarterback, you have to decide not to throw it because the safety is cheating over the middle. He's in perfect position to get that ball if you throw it. And Mon as a second-year guy, has got to do a simple read of the defense, a simple read of where his wide receiver's at, because Mon put the ball where Naylor went. he just can't do that. Mon said after the game, I talked to him, and he said, that was just obviously a terrible decision by me. And at this point, August 20th, that he said that, they clearly wanted to move quickly and, and get somebody else into practice, somebody else who could learn the offense with at least a few weeks before the regular season. And I, I would be shocked if it's not Nick Mullins uh, being active on game day on September 11th.
0: So who is the who is this a bigger indictment of? Is this a bigger indictment of Mond or Mannion um, at this point in your estimation and in, in terms of, you know, feeling like you need to bring in somebody else to more than likely be your number two quarterback.
2: And Mannion just physically looks like he doesn't have it right now. And and this isn't to say he's ever been a dynamic athlete, but he's always been somebody who can at least get the ball out. Um, but his arm, sometimes these balls are just dying on him. And I, I haven't seen him kind of go through this offense comfortably in a way that you've seen him under the Kubiak regimes, which players have said were a lot simpler. And Manning is a very smart guy. That's always what he's been touted as. But you haven't seen him run this offense this year in a similar reliable fashion. And these preseason games show it. Um, I I would say it's an indictment on both of them. But with Manning, you would hope physically at 30 years old, he'd still have something to give you. And you're just not seeing it. And you saw it in the cold weather at Green Bay at the end of last year as well when he wasn't able to get much going. Um, he's just a very limited physical quarterback and they Mullins is a guy who's shown in San Francisco. He can move around. Um, he can make throws on the run, those kinds of things, um, be a little bit more dynamic at least as a player.
0: Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good point. And, you know, I guess at this point, we I mean, we don't know exactly how this all shakes out, but I mean, basically based on making a move at this point, you would imagine Mullins becomes the number two, what then for Kellen Mond, what then for Ken, what, what then for Mannion?
2: I would imagine one of them can get on the practice squad if you're the Vikings, just because you put the time and energy into bringing those guys along in this new offensive playbook. And both of those guys are eligible for the practice squad based on new rules uh, that the NFL and NFLPA have instituted. It allows veterans like Sean Mannion to be stored basically on the practice squad. You would assume they wouldn't ditch on Mon this quickly. And I say this quickly as in just one off season with the kid in this system so at this point, I would assume it's Mond getting snuck onto the practice squad, um, getting waived, getting let go, and then brought back once he cleared waivers. And I don't know if you have to worry too much about other NFL teams seeing his preseason film and wanting to snatch him up just because there's just not a whole lot there right now.
0: The previous regime seemed more comfortable going into a season with, you know, with Sean Mannion. Maybe physically he was in a different place at a certain point, but <clears throat> do you sense that, I guess, why why do Quezado Fomenza and Kevin O'Connell maybe view the backup quarterback differently if they do than, you know, than previous, you know, than, than Spielman and Zimmer who seemed comfortable enough with Sean and haven't really put as much emphasis on, you know, having a backup quarterback that could win them a game so much as someone that they were comfortable with in the quarterback room.
2: Yeah, that's a good question. I do think that this is, you know, a wait and see move. You know, you send out a, a late, seventh round pick, I believe in 2024, that's even conditional where I think Mullins has to be active for a game or two for that pick to even go to Oakland or Las Vegas, I should say. Um, But Nick Mullins at this point is just 27 years old. You're going to give him a shot. You're going to see if he can pick up this offense, if he can be a reliable player as he's shown in spot starts before and in preseason action, and then wait and see. And then maybe he's somebody that can at least develop a little bit with you. And be that kind of backup option that you bring back in 2023 or 2024 with Mannion. What, I guess the question is, what's the future. I mean, you've seen the best physically he's going to be mentally, you might as well just hire him as a coach if that's all you want out of him in terms of game planning and helping the other quarterbacks. So this is a regime that's clearly giving more credence to what can you do for me once you get in. And they just have not seen much out of either of Mond or Mannion at this point. And like I said, with Mullins, it's there's, this is low risk. Quasi Adolfo Mensa obviously knows Nick Mullins from multiple stops. Uh, he knows a lot of coaches that have worked with Nick Mullins. So this is going to be a situation where they bring him in and see if it works. And they got three weeks till the opener to see if he could run the offense.
0: Should this be considered disappointing? It, feel, it feels like, you know, Mond just because of where they were with Kirk cousins, there was a certain element of, Hey, you know, maybe this could be the quarterback of the future, even though he was, a third round pick, which you know most of the most of the third round picks, like what your ceiling might be, is probably maybe a eventual capable backup. That's what Sean Mannion was. He was a third round pick a long time ago. Um, does it does it feel like this is disappointing that Mond can't win this job at this point, or does it feel like ah, this is kind of where he should be in his development, and don't blame him for them maybe not having a great backup quarterback plan going into the season.
2: I would go with the latter of what you said. I would say don't blame Kellen Pond all that much. Look, how many third-round picks develop into reliable, even backups? Kirk Cousins, a fourth-round pick. Dak Prescott, I believe, was a fourth-round pick. Russell Wilson was a third-round pick. These are all tremendous outliers compared to other guys. And you just don't see it very often in these mid-round. If you're not, if you're not a first-round talent, generally you're not going to pan out at quarterback. And a lot of those first rounders don't pan out either. So with Mond, the expectations probably should have been tempered a lot more. I just think there was hope from the fan base a little bit because there was no other option. We've all seen Sean Mannion. And when he was brought back, he was brought back at the veteran minimum, meaning the Vikings went to the absolute bargain option to bring him in. And when your starter is making as much money as Kirk Cousins is, it's kind of what you have to do. You can't afford to allocate more of those dollars. You can't afford to sign even case Keenum for three to 4 million a year or chase Daniel, or some of these backups who've made kind of careers out of just being reliable spot starters. So with Nick Mullins, you bring in a guy who presumably for on a pretty cheap contract, who was the third stringer in Las Vegas to, to kind of fill that role. It's another bargain kind of swap option, but it's better than what they had. And I would say, yeah, don't, fans shouldn't deride Kellen Mond this much because it was just a second off season first in this offense, and he's only a third-round pick. You just don't see it happen very often.
0: This is uh, more of the uh, Kirk Cousins insurance. A couple more thoughts for you, Andrew. I mean, offense only scores seven points against the Raiders, had a hard time getting on track until the second half of that first preseason game. Uh, Beyond, you know, backup quarterback, should we be more concerned about some of the other reserves who were, you know, particularly playing on offense, or is that, you know... Is that overblown because almost everybody was resting and by the time we get to the regular season, Cousins is playing, Jefferson's playing, Thielen's playing, like, should we not worry so much about the depth or is it, or did we see some things in these preseason games that make you think, oh man, if, if they have a, you know, injury or two at some key spots, they could be in some real trouble.
2: Yeah, there's not a whole lot of depth. I mean, you're right. But when you look at the, the stars on this team, it's a very stars and scrubs roster, right? And they're gonna be fine when Jefferson, Thielen, Cook, all these guys are out there, it's gonna change the way defenses can play them. But when those guys aren't out there, and especially when you go to your second team offensive line, you know, we, we talk about quarterback play in Mond. I remember specifically his second drive against the 49ers on Saturday night. It was totally destroyed by bad blocking. The first play uh, was a run stop that got blown up because the backup tight ends, Zach Davidson and Ben Ellison, couldn't double team a guy. The second play was a second and nine throw that got blown up because Oli Udo, your veteran guy that you would kind of hope would grab the swing tackle job from Rashad Hill who left, uh, he got blown up on a play, and it was a quick pressure that Mond threw into the turf. And then third and nine, Kevin O'Connell decided, I'm just going to call a screen, and it failed, and it didn't reach it. So then that's Mond's drive, and that was really no fault of Mond at all. And some of that has to do with the guys that were around him. This backup offensive line, I read somewhere this this week that Eagles offensive linemen are getting just rave reviews from from teammates, from opponents and joint practices about how, man, your backup offensive line is just as good as some starting offensive lines. And you're not seeing that out of the Vikings. And so there are certainly concerns about right guard, the starting right guard, concerns about the starting center. But then you get one injury to a tackle, one injury to another guard. Um, You can't have a ton of confidence in what you're trotting out there for your depth at offensive line. And then without Herb Smith, you're seeing that position pretty exposed as well. Um, I know Johnny Munt didn't play, but he's not a dynamic receiver. And they were hoping Zach Davidson could be the second-year tight end, and he's dropping passes left and right. So I think there's some concern at some of those outside spots. And I didn't even get to the receivers where – we're seeing some pretty preseason mistakes. A wide receiver screen gets blown up because Tristan Jackson, who could be competing for the sixth spot on that squad, is blocking the wrong guy. Amir Smith Marset is supposed to be the punt returner, but he can't handle the ball either. Um, there are there are some big questions about this team's depth that have not been answered. And um, yeah, we'll have to see if this Denver game on Saturday uh, gives gives them any confidence in some of those spots.
0: Last thing. I mean, the, the depth is one thing. The starters are another. I mean, based on what you've seen in camp, when obviously the ones are going a lot and you're seeing more of what this team might actually look like, it, is there a reason to be confident in their kind of first string and their ability to compete at this point? Because it, it watching this preseason games does not give you a lot of confidence.
2: No, and it's because we haven't seen, you know, their stars. They've held Dan, Daniil Hunter's Adarius Smith out. They've held Eric Hendricks, Jordan Hicks out, Harrison Smith, Patrick Peterson all those guys on defense and in this roster, the way they decided to keep it in part because Quasey came into an ownership group that said, we want to compete right away. you right. I mean, you can't afford to just ditch. We're not going to let you just ditch all the high price talent and then kind of rebuild. And I don't want to say tank, but kind of rebuild from the ground up. So they're still stuck with that top heavy roster that Rick Spielman left them. And as long as those guys are healthy, like last year, we saw Daniel Hunter start off very well for six, seven games before he went down. Um, Are they going to be able to kind of continue that stay healthy with this new training staff? Um, If they do, I think they're going to be a pretty decent team and pretty formidable because they do have a lot of stars on this team and we've seen it in training camp. We did see them give Trey Lance a lot of trouble in these joint practices. We saw, Just as often as Nick Boso was in the backfield on Kirk Cousins, we saw Daniel Hunter and Zedarius Smith doing the same things. So this can be a very potent pass rush that can cover up for some growing pains in coverage. Um, And then also on offense, we know this skill group is one of the best in the NFL.
0: Well, Andrew, appreciate it, ushering in the Nick Mullins era. No one else can do it quite like (laughs) Andrew Kramer. And uh, I'm sure we'll talk again on Access Vikings later this week and down the road again on Daily Delivery.
2: Sounds good, Mike.
0: Thanks. Now, it's funny. Like Andrew and I were talking about at the beginning of that segment, I was honestly going through all of the quarterback scenarios on Sunday night. It was like 1030. I was just sitting sitting in bed, just kind of like looking at quarterback depth charts. That's the depth of my sickness, I guess, Um, and the depth of my dedication to all of you to bring you quality programming. But you know, I was looking at the situations, looking at who might shake loose, who might be available. Thought Pittsburgh, like Royce and I talked about on Monday, might be a, a possibility with you know Mitchell Trubisky there and Mason Rudolph and Kenny Pickett. So, um, you know, I thought that was a possibility that someone there was going to shake free. I thought you know maybe someone with Washington could could break loose, but you know, Mullins certainly fits that bill of you know what should be somewhat of an upgrade. You know, a guy who started 17 career games, like Andrew mentioned, a guy who has a career quarterback rating, passer rating of 87.3, a guy who, you know, if necessary, if there was like a, a minor or, you know, short-term absence for Kirk Cousins, would make you feel a lot better about winning games as opposed to someone like Sean Manning or Kellen Mond. Now, like Andrew and I talked about, what does this mean for those guys? That's a good question. It does feel like, Kellen Mond is you know, still a ways out in his development if this is how they feel they need to go. And it does feel like Sean Mannion, um, this is probably the end of the road for Sean Mannion with the Vikings be surprising to see them keep four quarterbacks in some shape or form. And I would imagine that Kellen Mond is still the one they feel like has some upside. So I'd be surprised um you know going forward what those you know what those roster moves are, but can't imagine Sean Mannion is part of the future going forward. Um and again, a lot of this might not matter. Kirk Cousins is very durable, but I do think this was a good idea to upgrade at this spot because just watching those games, you did not have any confidence in Sean Mannion or Kelmon, And At least this makes you feel a little bit better about the depth at quarterback going into this season. Speaking of depth at quarterback, a couple of veterans. Let's finish with the cooler here. Uh, a couple of veterans making some some news here. Tom Brady back at Tampa Bay Buccaneers practice. Uh, strange little eleven-day break for him. It hasn't really been explained what it is aside from personal time away from the team. Um, you know, didn't didn't address the uh, didn't address the media after practice on uh on on t- on Monday with the, with the Buccaneers. So kind of just left to wonder what this was. If it was just maybe you know something he had prearranged to to not have to go through all the camp, you know, instead of. You know, skipping the early part of camp, doing the Brett Favre route where you retire until you're not retired, so you don't have to don't have to go through the grueling parts of training camp. I don't know exactly what it is, but Tom Brady obviously doesn't need training camp. But it's just a weird little mystery story. And now that the 45 year old quarterback—that's my age, by the way—I can't believe there's still a quarterback in the league that's my age. Kind of makes me feel good um, that he is back now and uh, presumably back for good. But hey, you never know. Maybe he'll take another break here coming up. Packers. uh, Sounds like Aaron Rodgers likes his young receivers a little bit better now, giving them a little bit of praise. So we'll see how long that lasts. Aaron Rodgers' relationship with his receivers, with anybody else on the team not named Aaron Rodgers, has always been hit or miss. Because you go, it's never his fault. It's always somebody else's fault. And We'll see how that plays out as the season goes along. But saying you know that, that he's feeling a little bit more comfortable with these guys cuz I feel like the offense especially last week or so has been clicking closer to where I think we should be trending. It was funny. Uh he was asked if maybe they'd be further along if he hadn't skipped almost all of the off-season program and he said, "You know, not really." Training camp is a long experience. There's plenty of time for conversations, for practice, for a lot of things they expect them to do in the regular season. I rely on the coaching staff to pass on the message as we're learning the offense. And then I'm kind of the 202 professor. They've got to get kind of the base concepts. And when I came in, we have the offense outside of the paper offense. Hey, congratulations, Professor Rogers. Uh, Never your fault. And we'll see how this works out for you as the year goes along. That'll do it for me today. Hope you enjoyed today's show. Be back at it again on Wednesday.